uh, we have solved the problem, I hope. Anyway, I think you get the point of what I'm trying to say there with the practical side, is you would both need to be strong, you would both need to be brave, you would both need to be um, kind of brawny and tough. And also, if you're going to work together as a team and not get at each other's throats, you would need to be patient, you would need to be nurturing, you would need to be gentle, you would need to be all those things that are typically attributed to femininity. The third problem I have with these neat gender categories is my own experiences, and I haven't come to this from my own experiences, I've come to it from reading he blessed them and told them to rule and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And like I said, I believe fundamentally that male is male, man is male, and woman is female, but they come to these things as individually feminine and individually masculine. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But one of the things I've noticed with this problem of dichotomizing gender and so forth in that way is that I met a girl called Kerry and I had three daughters and I kept meeting and working with awesome women who kept busting my small male perspective of what it meant to be a woman. I've got to tell you, 25 years ago, I don't think I was chauvinistic, but I was probably on the spectrum, Um, you know. So... You know, take strength and bravery, the warrior spirit. That, you know, again, that's for man, right? That's the colonizer, the conqueror. Well, Kerry, as you know, has chronic pain. Now, I've seen her sometimes at KYB, and she's not going to like me saying this, but at KYB with a stinking headache and gut pain and whatever else, show very masculine determination, great bravery, great courage. I've seen her do it three times with our children. I couldn't go through that. Now, these are, the, yes, it's not the bicep strength, guys, but it is a different type of strength. And I don't have it. I don't have that kind of strength, but I need it next to me. Now, I'm really proud of her. The, the, I call that the K-Pow now. Um, um, strength. When I was at the Royal Military College, I met plenty of female officer trainees. And I've got to admit, at times, I was probably one of those guys saying, and what's, what, what are women doing here? Look, they can't carry as much. They can't run as fast as me. And yet they turned out to be great officers. They turned out to be great officers because being in the army isn't just about running really fast, believe it or not, or carrying heavy weights. It's about tactics. I was just playing Becky in Stratego. She nearly beat, beat me. Nearly. She'll probably beat me next time. It's more than that. So as a female, be a great female feminine army officer. Don't try and be a man in a man's world. Just be a female, feminine woman. Be a great army officer. Then I you know, became a military pilot and I met the first two female army aviators in Australian Army Aviation. And again, just being great pilots. Just as good at me as polling, as landing, as you know, calculating stuff that you have to as a pilot, navigating, just as good as me, if not better. I still think the record for the softest landing in the space shuttle is held by, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, the, the, the female pilot, the female commander. Then I was in Fort Rucka. I trained the first Apache gunship pilot who was a female. Sorry, sorry, she was the first female Apache gunship pilot and she was transferring to Blackhawks and I had her and her stick buddy was what they call a chief warrant officer class five. So they're like demigods in the army. Guess who I ended up sending the study hall for remediation, which she found really funny because apparently you don't do that to CW files, but I was just a dumb Australian. Um, guess who I sent? It wasn't her. It was him because she was learning at the required rate and he wasn't because he was being a lazy butt. 
But wait a minute. She's a woman. She shouldn't be as good at being a patchy gunship pilot or black orc pilot. Do you know, do you know, I know I'm being facetious to it, but you know what I'm trying to say? And I want you to struggle with this a little bit. I want you to think about it. I want you to come to the scriptures and say, is there anywhere where it says, I can't, as a female, be, and, a, and there'd be other things with pacifism that we have to get into, but be an Apache gunship pilot and be a great female Apache gunship pilot. And of course, last 10, 11, 12 years as a rescue pilot, seen awesome female doctors, female paramedics. Like guys, if you saw some of the stuff they saw, you would probably, your lower lip would probably start wobbling or you'd probably go into shock. Um, you wouldn't know how to deal with it. And yet they run in and they deal with it every day. And it doesn't even have to be that intense. I still remember Gabby defending Johanna in the, you know, these are all experiences that I've had. And you know, the Wonder Woman film that I'm alluding to, my favorite scene where she runs across no man's land into uh, a barrage of machine gun fire. And I love that scene with a shield just busting away the mortar shell. Well, the look that Wonder Woman has on her face there, same kind of look that Gabby had as she saw Johanna getting kind of pushed over by a boy. So she ran, little streak of lightning. Where'd Gabby go? Oh, oh, oh. Crossed the, crossed the field, crash tackled this boy, brought him down and then whacked him on the backside. And we ran up and we're going, oh, Gabby, don't do that. But inside we're going, oh, yeah, nice one. Nice one. Very, very masculine. And yet, was anyone want to tell me here that Gabby is not feminine? No, she's beautiful. And Johanna, sorry, Joe, it's your turn. I told you it was going to go a bit longer. You know, I see Johanna push herself outside her comfort zone. She did this debate once. And it's funny that there's not many male debate teams. But anyway, she, she got trounced. Because these were like, they'd trained. She hadn't trained as much, but she gave it a go. Even though her hello hand was shaking while she read her speech, that's brave. That's courageous. And then, of course, you know, right now, pushing herself outside her comfort zone, having to work at Kmart and the determination that that takes. Now, I'm going I'm to call it. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. When I see a Wonder Woman thing going on, I'm going to call it. Um, you know, she's doing art. Many times people go, oh, what are you going to do with art, Joe? So, like, so she has to grit her teeth and push through that because people think she should be doing engineering or something else like that or being a lawyer like a sister maybe. But instead she pushes herself through. She has to be brave. She has to be resilient. I think that's the catch cry that corporations like to use nowadays when their employees are complaining. Resilience, be more resilient. And then Becky, you know, she, she trounces guys on the athletics field. And I know later on as they grow, they'll probably catch up and maybe even beat her. But I've seen her with some troubling personalities at school. She'll just go to them. That, that takes bravery. That takes being a Wonder Woman. Then you've got Wonder Martha and Wonder Mary at the foot of the cross when all the men are... Where, where are the men again? Where are the brave, brawny, tough fishermen? And the women... Yeah, at the pub. <laughs> That, that would be funny if it wasn't so sad, um, but it is still funny. You know, there they are. They're the first ones. They're just hovering about the tomb. They don't even, I think, intuitively, well, intellectually think that Jesus is going to rise again, but intuitively they're just, I've got to stay near my master. I've got to stay near Jesus. And then they're the first ones to proclaim the gospel. That's so wonderful, so amazing. And then I've seen the nurturing blokes, so my big, brawny, 
best friend, Phil, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing it, on Christmas Eve. Um, and he's like, we're about to go out to the pub for a couple of drinks. Sorry, that was one of those guys at the pub. Uh, and he's biting carrots. I'm like, why are you biting carrots? And throwing them down around the presents. And he's saying, oh, Parky, that's uh, so that the kids, when they wake up in the morning, think that Santa Claus has been here and his reindeer have eaten the, the carrots. <laughs> That's such a nurturing thing to do. Well, Daddy's playing dress-ups and My Little Pony and watching Barbie movies. That's this beautiful thing. Like, you can learn a lot from Barbie movies, gentlemen. A lot. You know, making pink birthday cakes or Mother Duck and Duckling birthday cakes. And that's not unmanly. You know how much work it takes to get one of those cakes to come together? How much determination? How much grit? How much courage? It's not unmanly to be persevering and gritty and determined as you get the icing just right. The nurturing. And I just want to say to house dads, you know, some house dads I know, just be encouraged, brothers. Do it well. And I want to say to some of you guys, you're not going to like me. <laughs> I'm already in a heap of trouble. You enjoy being a warrior with your thumbs, right? Call of Duty, yeah? How about get off your butts now and again and be a worry, warrior, be a determined determin- what am I trying to say? Be de- as determined about getting through Call of Duty as you are about making the bed that morning or cooking or cleaning the toilet, showing some grit, determination, breathe through your mouth, not through your nose. Helps. Um, not that I do it that much, as Kerry will attest. I'll do it more after this sermon. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're just so pathetic as men. Oh, yeah, I'm going to play Call of Duty and I'm going to go to the gun club with the church later. Meanwhile, our wives are struggling. And it's not just husbands and wives. You know, it's the way we as men, single men, sometimes think about single women. They're not our lesser. And you can be a nurturer as a bloke and you can be a warrior as a female, but just make sure you stay female and make sure you stay male. So what's the white elephant that I haven't dealt with? What is it that makes you male and what is it that makes you female? And you'll see the debate raging back and forth in church circles and outside of church circles. And I hope that I've given you some perspective. But you know what makes us female? And what makes us male? It's not descriptions of identity. It's not saying men should be brawny and tough or even proportionately they should be more brawny and tough and warrior-like, the hero, and women should proportionally be more like sidekicks. They are descriptions that we've come up with to try and describe what God has already irreducibly put into people. I can look around at every single one of you and I could put a pilot helmet on you. I could put a, 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 a lawyer book in your hand. I could put, what else, a doctor's stethoscope, a plumber's wrench. I could put it all, and you could be in overalls, and I will know you're a female. Sometimes, very, in a very, very small slice of time, I may not know, depending on what people have done to themselves, but 99.9%, I will know you are intrinsically female, and I'll know you're intrinsically male because God has irreducibly made you male and female. So rather than argue about what makes us female or male, I'm just going to trust that God knows who you are. You know who you are before God. And that leads me to the next thing, which is that God has created man in his image. So like I said, irreducibly that way. She is woman because she is woman. He is man because he is man. Who was Adam? Who was Eve? Well, we come to now the gospel. Actually, we've been in the gospel the whole time. It's just a part of the gospel. And we're told in 2 Corinthians that we, so those that are in Christ, those that have bowed the knee, those that, have, that love Jesus now and are following Jesus, and that's available to anyone because we know that this maleness and femaleness, like everything else in 
creation is dysfunctional and broken because of the fall. We're going to learn more about that next week. But we who are now in Christ with unveiled faces, that's unveiled female faces, intrinsically female. Now, someone once said, will there be sex in heaven? Yes, there will, because we will continue to be female and male. There will be sexes in terms of the gender. Uh, Male faces reflecting the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We are being transformed into his image. So you as a male man, a female woman, as a Christian, like Tim said so well before, that resurrecting power, that power of the Holy Spirit, it's at work in you. I just wish you'd really get this with me. I really wish you'd get it. It's like it brought me to tears. That broken femaleness, that broken maleness and all the stupid ideas that we have about it. It is being redeemed when you're in Christ. You're being brought back to the image in a sense of Eve who was when she was perfect. She would have been so um, just, loving and strong and nurturing. You know, I've heard guys say, oh, she would have been a hottie. Like, yeah, so what? You're just buying into the rest of society. That's what society wants us to do. They're hotties or they're not hotties. No, stop doing that. Stop doing that with your silly, silly artificial constructs of what women are and what men are. The cross. Did you see all those little boundaries on my little animation just breaking away? You'll love this next bit. Woman, man. Still inextricably woman and man. Beautifully gendered. We both... Receive, conquer, surrender, colonize, accept, plant. We're both gentle and strong. We're both pretty and brawny. I don't think I'm that pretty, but anyway. (laughs) We can both be a homemaker. Don't conquer the world with your thumbs. And I imagine Eve, she must have been wonderfully strong, wonderfully brave, wonderfully loving, wonderfully funny. My daughters are very funny. Wonderfully sacrificial, wonderfully hopeful, faithful, wonderfully passionate. I'm passionate. That's why I'm sweating so much. I'm passionate to see wonder women in the church. Men, my brothers, there are wonder women amongst us. And my prayer in Willowburn, if we're going to be a fellowship of the burning heart, is that, oh God, you would bring back the wonder women. You know, we have to be honest as there is dysfunction there. But I just want to say, whether you're an older woman, a younger woman, a girl, you can be a wonder woman. In fact, that is God's intent. Just dwell on the verses I gave you from 2 Corinthians before. That you, as you become more and more Amago Day again, you and more and more will become a Wonder Woman. And I think this is why the only time that we have anything recorded of Adam in the Bible, in terms of his words, they're in poetry for a start. And this is what he says when he sees Eve. He doesn't say, what a hottie. He might have been thinking that. He doesn't say, hello, sidekick. He doesn't say, get ready for some colonizing and planting. He says, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And and here's another, you know, you just think about that scene. Here is my companion. Here is my complementarian companion fit for me she is not my lesser she will she will be strong when i'm weak when she is weak i will be strong just had a beautiful picture with carrie she doesn't know this but we held hands which is very nice 
My hand was cold, her hand was warm. As we held hands, our temperature equalised. So my hand that once was very cold and her hand that once was very warm, equalised. I just thought that was such a beautiful picture. Do I even have to explain it? Together, Amargo Day. Together, strengths, weaknesses, balancing out. And, you know, I say women in the church, be a wonder woman. I'll pray for that again in a minute. Men, be a warrior for her when you make the bed. And we come again to how much is a little girl worth? How much is a young woman worth? You know, is it worth the red carpet that I put up there? Is, is that the value? Is that the value of a woman? Really? Come on. You know, is it all those, all these actresses that I've put up here, the 84 actresses, they've walked the red carpet, I'm sure. And the red carpet had a stench about it. You can't smell things across TV. I don't know if you're not yet anyway. Maybe they'll come up with that later. You can't smell things across TV, but if you could, you'd have been going, they look so beautiful, but there's something rotten here. You know, newscasters, news anchors, 82% are men in the UK over the age of 50. You know how many over the age of 50 in the UK are women, news anchors? 18%. What does that say? We say the value of a woman is her looks. That's what we say. I had an older lady in the church. She was very pretty when she was younger, and she said, you know, when you're an older woman, people tend to ignore you in the church. I thought, ah, what? what? Like with all your experiences as a sister in Christ, shouldn't you be, I don't know, shouldn't be people more attentive? And I love, I love this picture of Rachel Den Hollander as a lawyer because what we have here is a glimpse of that redeemed image of Jesus who has made it possible through his blood. That's why we love him. Made it possible so that now she can be a Margot Day. She can fight for justice, be gracious and truthful at the same time. And I'll post her victim statement or survivor statement online so you can have a re- read of it yourself. And this is what she says to Larry Nasser: In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you spoke of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on this basis that I appeal to you. So just imagine that scene. She's standing there. She's been abused for 15, 16 years. So have many other women. One guy in the courtroom actually lunged at Larry Nasser. He wanted to throttle that guy. And now she stands up. Other Christians have gone, oh, just, just forgive and move on. Now notice the balance and the symmetry that a wise wonder woman of God gets here, which I believe she got from the Holy Spirit because it's just so Christ-like. She says, if you have read the Bible that you carry, Larry... You know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to live this way. We've got a problem, man, if we think that Christianity is just about big biceps because we worship a Christ who went to the cross, gave up his biceps, gave up all the legions of super powerful angels he could have called down and went through the gritty mess of sin. Yes, we believe he will come with legions of angels to sort things out once and for all. But he went through the mess of sin. Larry, if you read the Bible, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things. As if good deeds could erase what you have done. If you think good deeds count before God, please, please rethink. He thought bringing the Bible and asking for forgiveness would somehow make it better. We think just asking forgiveness of God is going to somehow make it better. We must realize that when we ask forgiveness, there has to be justice as well. 
There is a place called hell. That is a place where God will finally reconcile his creation, renew it, restore it. He can't have people that continue to do what Larry Nasser does. It will wreck young people. He must deal with them once and for all, and he deals with them with fire once and for all. They're gone. They will never stand in the righteous court with God. Never. And then she says it comes, forgiveness comes from repentance. Now listen to this because we Christians get this so wrong. But she gets it so right here. It's amazing what happens with a lawyer mind. Yeah, she's being a great female Wonder Woman lawyer. Sorry, I keep stopping. I'm just so astounded. It moved me to tears when I saw this. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. Now, all of you understand this. You're not Larry Nassar, and I'm not saying what you have done is as bad as Larry Nassar. But God is so holy and beautiful and lovely. Your lies, your pride, your arrogance at times, your hubris, your critical spirit, your ugliness, you are on the spectrum of Larry Nassar. Yep, you're not as, long, as far along as it is, but by the grace of God, if he doesn't give you grace, you're there. And because God can see that into eternity, can see every one of your actions played out, you too, you too deserve hell. Because you too would wreck God's good creation if you didn't change. And that's why she says, you need to acknowledge that the guilt will be crushing. And this is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where where none should be found. And it will be there for you. This is, she was abused by this guy. It will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt so that you may may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Throughout this process, I've clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, my arguments against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he was an atheist, became a Christian. This is one of the reasons he became a Christian because he moved from seeing God as cruel and unjust or at least the universe as cruel and unjust. And he said, how do I get the idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? D.L. Moody said, if you want to convince something, someone that the stick is crooked or the line is crooked, don't focus on the line that's crooked. Focus on a straight stick. Show them the straight stick. Show them the straight line. Show them the straight way. That's what I've tried to do today, brothers and sisters. I've tried to show you a picture, hopefully, a glimpse, a, a, an inkling, an intuition of of a Wonder Woman, of a Wonder Woman. And, you know, I say this to you as my sisters, this has, oh, this has been a long journey of how I see women, how I see my wife, how I see my daughters. But when I see someone like that, I can see Gabby, I can see Johanna, I can see Becky, I can see Carrie, I can see all of them just in being beautiful, 
women wherever they are in society, being beautiful Christian women, being wonder women wherever they are. And you knew that this scene had to be put up there at some point. <laughs> you know, this scene in Wonder Woman where it's no man's land, it's World War I. I'm sorry I've gone for so long. I've gone for an hour. You're doing so well. Thank you. Thank you, Sunday school. I'm sorry as well. But no man's land. Get the poetry of that. No man's land. No one else can get through. There's just machine guns. There's mortars. And it's just, Patty Jenkins does so well. Do you know one of the pillars that of, uh, or the motifs that she built Wonder Woman on? She goes through in the extras was grace. That's the first one she says, grace. Because Wonder Woman doesn't make men less, she makes them more. And those men don't make Wonder Woman less, they make her more. It's so beautiful. That's why I love it. I think it's one of my favourite films, which again is kind of ironic, isn't it, really, being the kind of guy that I am. But what you see there is bravery, wisdom, love, grace, justice, the gospel of Jesus, Amargo Day. But you see it just as clearly in Rachel Den Hollander. This isn't a fake film. This is real. And I wonder if God kind of superimposes when things like that are going on. Like, you know how in that moment with the music and the soundtrack and, and, the, and the special effects, you go, oh, yes, yes, yes. I just wonder if that's how God is with people like Rachel Den Hollander or you in the workplace, home place, where you're just shining like, just, yes, do that. that. That is so good. And even if you're not, he's going, no, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to come for you. I'm going to get you there. <sighs> You know, it's not about genders fighting each other. It's about, like I said before, genders holding hands, being more together. I know that sounds so cliched, but it's also the gospel. And that's where we finish now as we prepare for communion. And none of that is, none of that is possible without Jesus. You know, we have the before and after shots, don't we? All the time. You know, someone's a bit obese. They go on this program. Here's the before shot, here's the after shot. Biggest loser, before shot, after shot. So, snapshot yourself as a woman before Christ and after Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful journey. And same, same for men, but I'm not talking about men today. You know, the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. He could have flexed his biceps but he chose to go through the mess of sin for us. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking what he has done for us. And whenever we see a wonder woman, we will always see this self-sacrificing motif. We see it probably better in women than we do in men because men are so full of bluff and bluster in general. As we finish now, though, I just want us to remember that the fellowship of the burning heart will be a fellowship that has wonder women within it. The fellowship of the burning heart, you know, communion. Communion isn't just um, coming to the table and remembering Jesus. It is that at its core, but we're told in Corinthians that it's also recognizing the body of Christ. I want you as men, before you come to that table, if you have got artifacts of culture, frameworks of understanding of women, if you've just been a bit, even a bit challenged, I want you to pray to God and ask him to reset, reframe your perspective of women. And if you're a woman today, as you come to the table, I just want you to give thanks to the God who loves you, who made you to be a wonder woman. And to remember Jesus who died for us, to remember his body broken for us, his blood spilt. 
We won't have time for questions and so forth, but I'm sure if you do have questions, ask me later. But for now, let's pray. Today, we remember the hands of the great God of the Bible, the hands that crafted the cosmos, the hands that carved out the planets and the moons, the hands that shaped the galaxy, the hands that constructed the complexity of our cells, the hands that reached out to Abraham, Moses, David, Adam, Eve, and all the great characters of the Bible, the hands that have scars, personal scars for us. We remember them today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So in your own time, come and take of the bread. I'll just ask Brother Rick there to break the bread for us. Um, just before we drink today, I just wanted to pray and um, recognize the body of Christ throughout the world. So, Father, we, we pray and, and we do not in any way intend to detract from the magnificent sacrifice that we remember now. But you've also told us through your word that we should recognize the body. And Lord, I just want to recognize our sisters in Christ throughout the world who today may well be abused, may well be oppressed, may well be hard-pressed at every side, seen as less than women, seen as less than Imago Dei. We acknowledge that that is the case and we ask, as we heard in the songs, how long? How long, O oh Lord? And we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And we remember that communion today is not just about what you've done, but as you indicate in the Last Supper, that you will not drink of the cup again until you're in the kingdom in fullness. So we drink to what has done, been done and what will be done in terms of justice for women everywhere and for children everywhere. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Well, normally we would move on to these four questions, but obviously time is well and truly expired for me. But what I'll do is I'll post the things that I said I would post and I'll also post these questions and feel free to ask questions on Facebook. Be gentle. I'll try and answer them as best I can or someone else will answer them for me. But, or if you've got an insight so, or a prayer to pray, an insight to share or a question to ask, yeah, well, I'll put those on Facebook. So you coming next week? Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening and thanks for your time. I do appreciate it. And, all right. And please go get your kids straight away. <laughs> Thank you.